I love my child. I love my child. Love you, Zoe. So good morning, everybody. Well, not everybody. I know that there's a few that are, that are out. Sickness. Yuck. No more. In Jesus' name. All right, we can move on from that. Um, this morning, we are continuing in Activate um, uh, Life on Mission. This is a, a series we've been going through this year um, through the book of Acts. And the title this morning is When in Greece. Sounds legit, right? Sounds, I mean, when in Rome, but we're going to shift over a little bit. When in Greece. Um, I don't know if, did you get that, that map in there, the second? No, never mind. Um, we, we know that we had jumped over from Asia into Macedonia. Um, we were in Philippi last week, and then we moved uh, from there. We're going to move down. Um, and I just want to jump right into it, kind of get to where we're going. Um, we're in chapter 17, if you're wanting to read along. Um, I'm going to rifle through a little bit of the first part, but um, we have Paul and Silas and kind of the gang that he has with him. Um, go to Thessalonica. Let's say that. That's a really nice name to say. Thessalonica. I just always love saying that. You know, Thessalonians, Thessalonica, um, really cool town, um, except for when Paul goes to speak. Um, he goes to speak, and he has this great success with the Greeks and, and some leading women in, the, in the, the, that, that culture there in Thessalonica. And as you know, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, there were some prominent women um, and it was, it was not unheard of to see prominent women that were owners of businesses, owners of land. Um, and these are some of the leading women that, that Paul um, speaks to about the gospel, and they hear it, and they receive it. Um, and they're t- he's talking at the, uh, the, um, uh, the tabernacle, the um, synagogue. Thank you. Um, speaking of the synagogues, um, this is where they usually go, try to find a place that uh, the Jews get gathered together. And the Jews in Thessalonica uh, at the synagogue, um, they responded quite jealously. They see that these Jews are, are, are coming to this, this realization of the gospel, and they respond in a jealous way, and they start pulling in some rabble. Some, um, so let's get some of those kind of those, those harder-edged people and bring them in here and stir them up against Paul. Um, they, they stirred up these guys against Paul and his, his group, um, and they ended up having to get out of town. Um, and much like what Jesus had called the, um, the disciples to do, if they were, were kind of um, not received by someone, they were to kind of shake the dust off and move on, right? And so Paul does this. He takes his group, and they, they move on from the, um, the Thessalonians um, to a group um, in Berea. Uh, now, you may have heard of Berea or Berean. Have you heard the Berean? Like there's some people that, that consider themselves Bereans because they, they study the word. And this is, this is where that comes from. And this is in um, Acts 17, 10 through 15. In Berea, um, Paul and his, his, his gang here, um, I, I always love thinking about that. He's got this little gang that goes with him. and he's sharing. Okay, maybe not. Um, but he's going, he's sharing to the Jews of the, the synagogue in, in Berea, and they receive him. And, and, and they receive what he's, he's sharing about in such a way that they, they, they love to listen to it. And then they take and they look at the scriptures themselves and, and, and try to line that up with what, okay, the word says this. He say, it lines up with the word. And that's what, where 
that Berean idea comes from, that, that we're Bereans and that we, we check the word of God to what is being said. We check the word of God to what, what testimonies we've heard and see how that lines up. And the, uh, the Bereans, they, they examine the scripture and they verify what Paul has been saying. And the Thessalonian Jews are still so jealous about this that they send some people along to stir up the crowds again against Paul and his gang. I'm going to keep saying that, sorry. Um, so they end up going another 300 miles away. So just imagine this map that, you know, that I had up last week. I'll have it up next week. Um, they just kind of went from, through a couple towns, and then they decided, you know what, we're going to go way over to Athens. Um, and, and maybe we'll get rid of these Thessalonians, you know, the Thessalonians there. Um, so they, they get all the way to Athens, and this is where I, I get you to here this morning. Um, and this is some takeaways that I have from, um, from Paul speaking in Athens, his time in Athens. In Acts 17, 16 through 20, it says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them at, uh, at Athens, um, he's waiting for his guys to get there, the Spirit provoked within him, as he saw the city was full of idols. The spirit being provoked within him is not the Holy Spirit necessarily being provoked. It's his spirit. And how his spirit, you know, it lines up with what the Lord's spirit is doing. But this is really provoked. It's, um, he's agitated. He's, he's looking around at all. Um, there, there was a... a, a an ancient writer that actually said that it, it, it was easier to find gods in Athens than men because there were so many idols around the town. They were known for being this town full of idols. We, we see the Acropolis and, and the Parthenon and how there's all these different temples up on that mountain. It, that was the whole town was like that. So much so that we'll go on here and I'll, we'll show this. Uh, so that he reasoned with, um, in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons um, that would be the Greeks that are, that are hanging out in the, the synagogue. And, and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. He's just talking to anybody that will listen. Um, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, this is um, what Athens was really known for, is their philosophers and, and having lots of idols. Um, they, they also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Babbler, it's funny, I, I never heard this before, but the, the word babbler kind of comes from the idea of picking up seeds and throwing them down. Right? Kind of a weird word to call babbler. But he, basically, he's, he, they're hearing him throwing down these, these ideas, and they're like, what's this babbler have to say? And others said, he seems to be preaching of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Oh, this is something new. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this, uh, this new teaching is that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, the Areopagus is this group. They, they typically met, um, if, you, if you've seen the pictures of the Parthenon, that's the, 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 the big uh, temple that... You know, it's kind of like this, and it has just the, the columns left um, holding it up in Greece. And, and you have, like, the temple to Nike, um, not the shoe. There was somebody else. Was, anyway, um, there might be that for the shoe nowadays somewhere, but that's probably more like in Beaverton, Oregon. Um, but uh, there was, uh, 
there was a, a place just below all of that that the Areopagus would meet. Um, or there was another spot uh, a little across town that they would meet. So they had a couple venues that they would go and they would, they would talk about various um, theologies and philosophies and, and just new things and, and old things. And they would just talk. And um, one of the, the, the first takeaway I got from this was, was with um, how Paul's spirit was troubled how it was provoked within him. And, and I, this was the thought. Our, our spirit will be troubled, yet our reaction should invite rather than judge. Does that make sense? We can be provoked in our heart about something. We can be provoked in our spirit about something. There's a lot of things to be provoked about in our world today, isn't there? Isn't there? I mean, we could talk about political things. Please not. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, we can talk about, um, there, there's some things that I know can be politicized, but, but when we, we're with the Lord, think about, think about uh, abortion. It's highly politicized. Let's take the political part out of it. Let's just talk about the fact that these are children that are being killed. Doesn't that provoke you in your spirit? It makes you sick to your stomach, makes you, makes you wish you could do something. But what I'm, I want to point out is that our reaction matters to the people around us. How we respond. If we go and we yell at somebody that's going into a place that, that does abortions, and we're, we're hollering at them, telling them that they're, you're just killing your baby, how do you think that that response factors into how that person looks at the church. Yeah. It's a bad response. Can we agree to that? I mean, there used to be people that would like, like I mean, I, I remember seeing this uh, growing up that this guy took and he took a bike lock, one of those U-shaped bike locks, and bike locked himself to his car steering wheel in front of the place protesting abortion. As a Christian, professed, how many people listen to that, do you think? More people that are kind of on his side probably listen to it, but not people that were hurting, not people that need somebody to come alongside, to be inviting. And, and I look at Paul, and Paul didn't come in and go, oh, look at all these idols, you guys are going to hell. How much would, would, would that response have worked for him? Would he have been invited to go speak to this group of philosophers? It, you know, the thing is, is it, it doesn't take, um, you, know, whatever dis, you know, whatever thing that we're standing for or standing against. Um, it, it doesn't really matter what that is. We don't have to go to the other side and say, oh, I believe what you, you believe. We don't have to agree with what the other side says in that. We, we, we agree with what the Lord is doing, what the Lord says, what the Lord speaks into our hearts, right? But how we respond is not necessarily saying, oh, we agree with you. How we respond is, we care about you, and we want to be able to speak into your life, but the only way we can do that is if we respond in such a way that you hear us. Stepping off my soapbox. Okay, um, so there's this idea of being able to, 
have your spirit troubled, but be able to respond to people in such a way that you'd be invited. You may have different ideas, and, and those ideas coming from the Lord, the Spirit speaking those into your lives. And if you share how, you know, with a response that's inviting, others may be like, I want to hear about this. I may even want to change what I believe because of how compelling it is that you're sharing what you're sharing. Because when we look, at, we look at D.C. and we look at what happens there, and there's a lot of railing and yelling against each other, right? How much does that change people's minds to come over to the other side? It tends to solidify people, right? Whereas I, I think there's so much more that can happen when we show love and care in how we share things. Paul's spirit was provoked. And this is not the Holy Spirit. This is his spirit. But it's prompted by the Holy Spirit. And seeing this idolatry all around him, his spirit gets stirred and it gets messed up. And it happens to us too. And we see injustice and things that are contrary to God's word. Things that do not line up with God's heart. It stirs us, doesn't it? The thing is, is if we can take that stirring and that uncomfortability and we can go to a place of excitement. I know that sounds weird, right? But when we're stirred like that, we should be excited because we we can look at it and go, look what happened to Paul. He was stirred in his spirit and he ended up speaking to some of the biggest minds in Athens about Jesus. Our spirit being troubled is the first part of something. Our response matters even more. Paul's response got him invited to share more, and we go on here. Acts 17, 22 through 28 says, So Paul's standing in the midst of the Areopagus. He's standing in the, the, this group of, that is the thoughtful men um, and some women that were there that were the biggest minds in town. And he said, Men of Athens, I perceived that in every way you are very religious. This can be taken as a, as a compliment or it can be taken as a bit of a slight. Thinking Paul, he was probably making a little bit of a sarcastic remark. In every way are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. Again, a little bit of sarcastic. The objects of your worship. Not the gods of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he has needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man... Every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, 
for we are indeed his offspring. Paul, Paul may have been many things, and there's sometimes people are frustrated with how he says things in, in the word, and um, he's, he, he'd been beaten and sent out of town, so some of the stuff that he says it wasn't real popular. But the man could share ideas. And to go and share in Athens, this is one of those places that was the center of Western culture, right? He shares in Athens, and he's received. And the, the second thought I had here was that even those that don't know him are not far from him. I think sometimes we, we get caught up in the fact that uh, the lost are lost. We have no idea where somebody else is, really. We have no idea how far they are from God or how close they are to God. And I guarantee you that they're not too far away because God is never too far away from us, right? He's never too far away from the brokenhearted. He's never too far away from each and every one of us, all of his children. Even those that that don't profess the name of Jesus are not too far from him. That's what Paul's saying. He says that, you know, They should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So I think we need to to look at people less like they are lost and more like they're not too far away. They're just within reach. They're just within reach of the Lord, not within reach of us, because we're still reaching out to the Lord, right? And all we're doing is we're going, hey, Hey, just a little further. Come on, put your hand up here. You got, you're right there. We could encourage people that direction. Athens was, was kind of a pagan Mecca of sorts. You know Mecca where, where uh, Muslim people uh, pray towards and, and they go, you know, sometime in their lifetime they've got to make a, a trip there. But, but Athens was kind of for pagan, uh, multiple gods kind of culture. This was a place where people went to. They would make their um, the pilgrimage to Athens. And there was a God um, to worship for just about everything, everyone. And Paul was speaking of God, big G. Um, and he speaks of this God that, that resonated with the philosophers because they were not too far off. Why, why would they invite him? Because there's something in their spirit that is going, this sounds familiar. It sounds different than what I've been hearing, but it's familiar to my spirit, so I want to hear about it. The reason that the things of God make sense is because God created us, and we were created in his image, imago dei, the image of God. We were created in his image, so when, when things of God come up in our life, it makes sense. It rings true. It it, it, it stirs in our spirit to want to know more. With the leading of the Holy Spirit, we can encounter Jesus. Now, let me say that again. With the leading of the Holy Spirit, we can encounter Jesus. This doesn't mean that, that what we say is going to suddenly just make somebody get to Jesus. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, Pastor. You're saying that evangelism doesn't get people to Jesus? Oh, no, no, I'm not saying that. But ultimately, it's not you and me that get people to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit 
speaking into them, drawing them, wooing them to him. We just get to be a part of it. Don't you want to be a part of it? Moving on. Acts 17, 29 through 31, it says, And being then God's offspring, this is who we are, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. There's some really great things. Have you seen paintings that look so real, look like a photograph? Man can make great things. We're created in the image of God. God is a creator. What does he put in us? To be a creator. We create things. We like making inventions. We like making things that, I mean, sometimes we make too much junk. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we, 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 can, we can paint things and, and sing things and, 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 and make clay things and, 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 and make tables that have beauty, right? There, there's so many things that we create. And even as parents, we create, we, we bring forth these children, right? Ultimately, they're from God and they're loaned to us. But there are some beautiful things that we create as people. Moving on. God isn't, um, as it says, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He's talking about Jesus here. The last thought I have for you this morning is that we have confidence of worshiping a living God because he raised Jesus from the dead. We have this confidence um, to worship God. Because Jesus went to the cross, went to the tomb, was raised to life, and is seated at the right hand of God. We have a confidence to worship God because Jesus. We have a confidence, yes. Is this a quiet confidence? Is this a stoic confidence? Is this a living, breathing, moving confidence that we can walk through anything, anything he calls us to because of Jesus? Not because of something that we created. The worship and the the idolatry that, that Paul saw that stirred up his spirit. Well, his spirit was not stirred up because of the, the, the waste. I mean, there may be some, some of that. The waste of like, oh, that, that, that could have been used for this or used for that because they're worshiping something dead. I worship a, a living God. It was not, he was not being stirred up because there was multiple gods competing with, with God. You know, multiple little G-gods competing with a big G-god. Because really, there's no competition. Paul has that confidence. He looks around and goes, oh, you think that's glorious? Let me introduce you to the living God. I have a confidence in him 
because of Jesus. It was not because of those things that his spirit was stirred up. You know why he was stirred up? Why his spirit got mixed up, got messed up? When he first walks into Athens and he looks around at all these idols, he was not messed up because of those. He was messed up because of all of the people there were worshiping something that could not give them confidence. They were worshiping something that was dead and not alive. They were worshiping something that was not able to respond to them because they created it with their own hands. This is why idolatry is wrong. Not because it's making something that's idolatrous. It's because of what it does to the person and what it does to the ability to have a relationship with a living God that gives us confidence, that gives us this life everlasting and a life that we live here to share who Jesus is. So if your spirit gets stirred up, don't don't move away from it. Embrace it. But don't get cranky for it, right? Don't get cranky because of it. Oh, I've stirred up in my spirit and this, ah, that's dumb. Nobody's going to listen to us if we do that. We've got to get stirred up. We've got to embrace it and go, why am I stirred up in this, Lord? How can I respond? And when we respond, we respond in such a way that we get invited. Does that make sense? When you respond to people and you come up to them and you come up to somebody and you smile at them and, and you, you show interest in, in what they're interested in and you give them a hug, do you think that that's more apt to get invited than if you said, man, I can't believe you did that? Well, you can't believe I did that, but I was going to have you come to my barbecue. But <laughs> Which response is going to get you invited to their barbecue? A hug care, love, just, just, just trying to show interest in who they are, but also being able to share who you are. Because everybody has a testimony, and that testimony will speak into people's lives, and we'll get you invited. Why don't you go ahead and stand and, and set your things aside. We're going we're gonna to pray and, and go out this morning. We do have uh, potluck. I'm giving you plenty of time to get down there. This is good. Um, but why don't we pray, and we'll pray for the food as well so we can just get down there and get, get fellowship together, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time to come together and, and to um, consider the things of you. To spend time looking at what Paul did going into Athens and how his spirit was stirred within him was was messed up. God, we just pray that those times where our spirit gets shaken, help us to look around and be excited and to respond to those around us well. We thank you, Father God, for that. We praise you. With everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, I just want to give an opportunity. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity. If that's you, just all you have to do, just raise your hand and raise your head, and we'll just make eye contact here, and we'll, we'll pray together, and, and maybe I'll catch you when we're down eating. 
So if that's you, just raise your hand. Raise your head. All right. Well, thank you, Jesus, for for your life. That you are still alive. That you're a God, you're a living God. That you're not bound by by gold or stone or, or, or some pile of rocks on earth, but God, you are boundless. And you're not an unknown God. We can know you and be known by you. And we pray that as we go out today that you would you would stir our spirits to the things that we, we need to speak and stand up for. Lord, help us not to be known for the things we're against, but who we're for. Help us not to be known for those things that we rail against or yell at, but be known for the love that we have for one another and the care that we have for those that we don't even know. Go before us, Lord. We pray for the food downstairs, that you would bless it to our bodies, all the calories to the kids. Um, We praise you and we thank you. Uh, Bless our time of fellowship today. In Jesus' precious name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. You, You're you're not dismissed because you've got to go downstairs. So you're just sent to another venue. Can we do that? All right, God bless you. See you downstairs.